Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Between the Lines. I am your co-host today, Ryan Bassford. And uh, like I mentioned in the first episode, uh, the plan is to have a co-host, Tyler Essig, out of uh, Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, Plate's pretty full right now, so um, we weren't really sure about his scheduling. However, today, episode number two, Tyler is here. Tyler, how's it going? Doing well, Bassford, man. Appreciate you having me. <laughs> Looking forward to getting rocking and rolling, talking some football. Absolutely. Um, That's what we're here to do. Yeah, man. I'm ready to ready to roll. Awesome. Don't have much, uh, don't have much more to share. <laughs> uh, so why don't you start just real quick, a, a quick like 30-second overview about you, where you're from, all that stuff, so the, uh, the lovely listeners can get an idea. Of course, yeah. So from Minnesota, as you said. Uh, currently working at CH Robinson. That's how I. That's how we met. So yep. that's how I, the Cincinnati to Minnesota connection. <laughs> that's how that worked out. Uh, so huge, huge weekend for Minnesota sports fans. Mm-hmm. Just smashing it with the Gophers and the Vikings. <laughs> big wins. Uh, so actually proud to be a Minnesota sports fan. Currently <laughs> doing a doing a, a part time gig with PFF. So doing some analysis work for them and just seeing where that goes. Where that rolls basically yeah let's get into it awesome so uh yeah i think i say we jump right into the uh the penn state visiting the minnesota golden gophers um one of two of the uh, undefeated matchups we saw this weekend um it kind of looked like penn state was playing with a bit of chip on their shoulder going into this game eight and oh uh you know it started off a little slow in the season but it's really picked it up the last few weeks and still getting ranked 17 in the uh, the playoff poll what was kind of the vibe up there you know, around the, uh, you know, ar- around the University of Minnesota, like, you know, do you guys think they were treated a little unfairly in that week one ranking? Um, You know, I would say kind of, yes, right? But we really didn't play anybody to this point. Right. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, the first three games, like, were absolutely brutal, right? We had the <laughs> big comeback wins against a FCS school, then – San Jose State, um, you know, just we were playing bad where we had to come back in the fourth quarter every time. I just assumed once we got in the big time that we were screwed. Right. We just came out like gangbusters and just were slaughtering everybody. <laughs> what, like four straight games with 20-plus point victories? Um, so, I mean, a little disrespect, but knowing that we played the number four team, it's like mm-hmm. that if we won, we'd, you know, you're assuming that we're going to get some respect in these upcoming rankings because – just the way that they had the interviews with the with the guy um, that was kind of the head of it, mm-hmm. you know he he said that he he was looking at quality wins. So this is obviously a quality win when you take out the number four team in their first ranking. But yeah, absolutely. First rankings in my mind don't really matter. Right. So I mean, we'll see how it goes moving forward. Now for like number twelve, that'll be kind of upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like they, they probably came in with a little bit of expectations of being higher. Um, but like you said, they haven't had a top 30 opponent this year. Uh, so, you know, as good as they've looked, you know, the resume definitely didn't stack up. But you'd think being 9-0 and would get them a little bit better than, you know, at least get them in the top 15. Uh, but I think they definitely proved the fact that, hey, like, you know, we're here to, you know, we're here to stay. Like, this program is really turning it around. Um, I think, obviously, P.J. Fleck has to be, uh, you know, the main person to credit that to. There's the energy he brings and hearing him talk is, is makes me want to run through a brick wall. Like I'm not even a Minnesota fan and I absolutely, uh, you know, love getting to you know, watch those guys play and hear him, hear him go at it. Yeah, dude, he, he is awesome. And he just gets those guys playing so hard. It's, it's fantastic. And yeah, just real quick, like as a Minnesota sports fan, mm-hmm. man, it seems like we're so used to disappointment. You try to <laughs> not get too hyped up or excited. And like, even though we opened as seven point dogs, mm-hmm came down i still was like not convinced that we were a good bet right right um, yeah i was glad, worried about it. Uh, glad i laid off because i would have <laughs> taken Penn State, but I don't know, it was, um it was a huge win huge win yeah do you think that uh there may have been a little extra motivation too knowing that uh the gophers were able to lock down pj fleck before this game happened he was able to go in there and say hey i don't know i don't have the marquee wins yet but i will give me that give me this money give me these years and i thought that was pretty uh probably had a, had a little propulsion to their, the way they play on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be for sure. I don't know. I never really thought of that. I just think, you know, his, his personality is so, mm-hmm. like, balls to the wall all the time. Like, I don't, I don't know if anything really changed too much for him. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, uh, I, I, that's a good point. 
I'm not sure how much, you know, really that um, it really affected the motivation. I think they would have been motivated regardless. Yeah. Right. And I think this true. number 17 ranking definitely probably motivated them. Mm-hmm. And next week it'll be interesting to see if we can continue with that momentum and not have a letdown. Cause it's so hard to not have a letdown, especially oh. going on the road, but I'm sure we'll, we'll chat yeah. about that here. In a little while. Yeah, for sure. So let's, uh, let's kind of dive into this game. Uh, so we were talking before we went live here. I focused, I looked more on kind of, you know, so your general box scores. Tyler said that he, um, you know, watched the highlight reels of both these games and got into a little more of the advanced stats. So what are some things that really stuck out to you that made you think Minnesota deserved to win this game, not only by the final score, but also on paper? Um, yeah, so definitely the first thing that really stuck out to me was Tanner Morgan's performance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, God, that guy's just, he just throws dimes everywhere and having only two inter- incomplete passes and three touchdown passes is phenomenal but it was across the middle of the field mm-hmm. it was on the sidelines it was you know throwing screen passes where his wide receivers have room to run um the only one that he really missed i, c- I can remember one of his incomplete passes was a fade route to tyler johnson in the corner mm-hmm. of the end zone where he had a step on the cornerback and he kind of just overthrew him a little bit right that was like the only bad throw otherwise like every throw that he had, dude, it was just so impressive. Especially after like some of these other bets that I made, and I'm watching these other teams, <laughs> watching freaking Louisville's quarterback, dude, oh, yeah. <laughs> try to throw a fade route and just throwing it right to a Miami defender, just drove me nuts. <laughs> just drove me absolutely insane. So yeah, and watching Tanner Morgan, like I think that guy's for real, man. He's been kind of up there with uh, most of these advanced stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of tweets about it where it's kind of like you know you kind of have your your top five guys it's like joe burrow Tua, trevor lawrence and then right. tanner morgan's like sneaking in there top five in these these stats like whether it's yards per pass attempt or whatever you know mm-hmm. he's always just kind of popping up out of nowhere and it, people wanted to credit in myself included you know the schedule that we played but man he looked freaking good it was awesome um and other than that, you know, Rashad Bateman ran some incredible routes. That one, I think it was in the third quarter where he kind of ran a slant in a slant and then he ran it back out into a corner route and just the defender wasn't even close to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Pretty sick catch on the sideline. The throw could have been a little better, but I mean, he got his feet in, was calm. And then he had that deep bomb towards the end of the game, third and 10, right before the end of the third quarter. That was absolutely huge where he, you know, was down the sideline and Morgan just dropped it beautifully for a first down that set up another touchdown. So, yeah, he played awesome as well. Um, but, yeah, what what do you say? What do you think? What kind of stood out to you? Uh, so I see the one thing that anytime you are, uh, you know, looked at as an underdog in a big matchup is to try to control that uh, the turnover ratio. And, you know, Penn State kind of started the game you know, pretty quick was driving down the field. And all of a sudden I look up and Minnesota has the ball. That's what they, you know, they caused their first turnover early in the game in Penn state territory, and then went on to win that uh, turnover battle. They did lose. What was it? That was one fumble. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Penn state quarterback, uh, Sean Clifford threw three interceptions, Minnesota ended up losing one fumble, but in the end, he ended up winning the turnover ratio three to one. So whether you're home or away, anytime you're, you're taking on a team that's looked at as better than you, and honestly, probably does have just better, you know, better talent across the board. You know, Penn State just has a the better rep- recruiting program. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go in there, control the clock, control the turnover battle. Uh, you know, I think that's a, the best way you're going to win games, especially like this where Minnesota controlled the clock and had a lead the entire time. And while Penn State was able to fight back here and there, they uh, they never they never had any doubt that Minnesota was going to win this game. Right. Yeah. And the places where we got our turnovers too, like you said, right away from the beginning when they were, you know, kind of driving, mm-hmm. um, and they throw it. We had a couple deep passes. Winfields were both, you know, we picked it off inside the 10 yard line. Yeah. I mean, they weren't, you know, that's not where their field position was, but the throws were down in that area. And then the last interception was inside the the end zone, you know, to end the game pretty much to ice right, it. Right. And we also had a, a huge turnover on downs when Penn state was inside the, the 10 for sure. I think even maybe the five, uh, which was actually an incredible defensive play um, by our slot cornerback um, or Minnesota. I'm not on the team. But anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was just phenomenal. And yeah, like you said, 
the way that we controlled the turnover battle was was awesome. Yeah, and not to mention you can when anytime you can, uh, you know, the defense steps up and forces a player like Sean Clifford, who I don't find to be anybody spectacular, but it's been a you know good mm-hmm. quarterback this season. You know, he went twenty three for forty three. I mean, he did have three hundred forty yards, but you know they were he was averaging what seven point nine yards per attempt. Meanwhile, Tanner Morgan is eighteen for twenty for three forty or you know three ninety nine or three thirty nine. Sorry, but you know putting up seventeen yards, uh, you know per uh, per completion. That's something that it that that kind of changes the course of the game when a defense is able to step up. And you know Clifford felt pressure you know the entire time. The DBs, especially um, Antoine Winfield, you know just even when he wasn't making, uh, you know, interceptions and wasn't, you know, looking at as technically as a pass defended, the way he just kept his guys constantly in tight coverage, it, it just it, it took uh, it took Clifford's ability to find, you know, probably his first or second uh, read each time he dropped back to pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had noticed a lot of there were a number of times too that Clifford missed on some throws. He had some mm-hmm. guys over the middle and he was short because um, it, it it did seem like they were able to get, you know, they were able to move the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another quick note on Antoine Winfield, he had 10 tackles too, dude. That's so insane. The yeah, exactly. 10 tackles. <laughs> guy's, guy's a monster. But yeah, Carter Coughlin looked great as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a big-time recruit for the Gophers here a couple of years ago. But yeah, he looked he looked very nice. Yeah, uh, Carter Coughlin, yeah. eight total tackles, four of them were solo. And the big side here, three tackles for a loss. He was just constantly causing uh, – you know, mm-hmm. causing havoc. What's Minnesota's havoc rating look like compared to Penn State's uh, havoc allowed? Do you know? Um, in terms of the, like the season coming into this game, yeah. Um, that's something I could pretty easily pull up here. I do have, you know, in terms of our havoc though, mm-hmm. like on one field two for havoc with the two interceptions. Carter Coughlin three tackles for loss, including a sack. Mm-hmm. So that was a three havoc grade. Um, but yeah, here I'll I'll pull it up real quick. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that. If I remember correctly, Penn State's pretty – they're pretty good up there in terms of havoc allowed, and, and they create a lot of havoc too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which – Especially oh, their uh, defense man. I don't know how – how do you pronounce that guy's name? The gross Maytas guy. What's his first name? Um, ah, shit. Let me see. <laughs> which, which one are you looking for? Y-E-T- Y-E-T-U-R. Uter? Uter gross <laughs> <laughs> something close enough man something like that that guy is one of the i mean he uh only with two two tackles you know one solo nothing in the backfield he's been a force all year long and is getting a lot of people talking about him come draft time and the uh, minnesota offensive line was really able to you know shut him down for the most part i think i think uh you know james franklin and the entire uh, penn state defense they really rely on him up there you know to cause some issues for quarterbacks and it just wasn't happening today or on Saturday. Right. right. And it, well, yeah. And I guess um, I haven't pulled up the Havoc yet, but on that Havoc deal, oh, here we go. Um, you know, Penn State was giving up like what, 1.9 yards per carry mm-hmm. against like coming into the game. And halfway through the third quarter, we were at like five and a half yards per carry. I don't think we didn't finish out that way, but I mean, just in the crunch time, in order for us to get that lead, that was, that was huge. Right. Right. Um, yeah, okay, so I got this pulled up. Minnesota, you know, coming into the game, they were ranked 28th in being able to force Havoc, mm-hmm. um, which is which is pretty solid. Yeah. Um, and Penn State, and yeah, they were ranked 74 with Havoc allowed. So, you know, they they weren't exactly stellar. Right. Um, we were f- 52nd in Havoc allowed, and Penn State number five in forcing Havoc. So, you know, we, we definitely won the Havoc battle. Yeah, there. you're not kidding. They were five enforcing havoc going into this game. Yep, yep. And we were 52 and you know stopping havoc. So yeah, that's that's huge. That really is, man. I'll tell you what, that, that's a uh, yeah. Minnesota's been looking for this quality win all season, and uh, mm-hmm. it's clear that I mean, that it, like we said, we look at it on paper. This is just some like you know box score that looks like you know maybe Minnesota could have lost this game. They really controlled in every single piece that you know you need to have to get a victory in college football. Mm-hmm. So I think we're all impressed with that. Where do you what do you think is going to happen with the, uh, you know, their spot in the in the playoff ranking tomorrow? Um, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. We'll, <laughs> we're, we're doing a top ten, right? <laughs> I like. It. Yeah, we'll tease that for later. Okay. Okay. Perfect. We'll dive in. We'll dive in. <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of notes, um, I also just another thing that I wanted to check on was because Penn State outgained us mm-hmm. yardage wise, right? We had right. the 
three, four big turnovers in our own territory. I didn't know exactly what our win expectancy would be, but in the advanced box score, we still had a win expectancy of 74%. Really? So hmm. as a five-point win, you know, I think that's pretty solid um, just because it seemed like those turnovers could have been, you know, if they, if, if we don't get two of those, two out of those four, right, you know, mm-hmm. it's a completely different ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, that's kind of the last thing I need to say on, on this game. No, no, I think we apparently hit everything. Um, man, I tell you what, that, that uh, what is that kid's name? Journey Brown, the running back for Penn State. Oh man, he was he looked nice. He looked so nice. I, every time I looked up, it looked like he was breaking something. He had you know yeah. averaging nine yards a pop, two touchdowns, hundred twenty four yards. That kid. Oh, do you know what year he is? No, I don't. I should have. I should pull that up. But <laughs> I, uh, I see. I got it right here. That kid is going to be something special. He's only a sophomore too. Okay. I mean, and look at, oh my God, those freaking, uh, the holes that he had was absurd, mm-hmm. especially on that touchdown run. Yeah. And our safety came up. I, I took a peek at that in those highlights, and our safety just completely whiffed. Like he was <laughs> in the hole, and then our linebacker kind of got kicked out by the tight end, um, didn't really keep the outside contain. And then, yeah, it was, then he was just gone. That guy was fast. <laughs> he had some, he had some, some blazing speed. No doubt about it. All right. In that case, let's uh, let's hop over to the LSU fight and Tigers on the road in Alabama. LSU has lost eight straight against the Tide. Um, and honestly, the last like four of them have not even been close. Um, last time we won was the nine to six game of the century. Uh, so, of course, we have another game of, the game of the century rematch finally being billed that way. And uh, both teams deliver to finally give the uh, give the people a fun game out of the SEC. What a what a difference in terms of score compared to the, the other game of the century. Unbelievable, like yeah, so awesome. I mean, I mean, I know so many people that you know had the over in that game in the the nine to six year, and they kind of look back at it and they're like, <laughs> "I'm not even like mad about this. Like, I was part of history as the low. I mean, this is, it was th- it was what five field goals. Like, there wasn't even a touchdown scored, and the game went into overtime. Like, that's how bad this was." <laughs> Yeah. But that was, you know, I remember watching that and being like, okay, there's a difference between good defense and mm-hmm. just watching bad offense. And you right. could tell that was, that was pretty solid defense. Oh, there. yeah, absolutely. It was definitely fun to watch. Oh, yeah, for sure. But now we had the, uh, man, just an absolute shootout, which, I mean, mm-hmm. the line kind of predicted. I was really all over the under. I didn't take it, thank God. But I was thinking everyone <laughs> keeps saying over, over, over. And I'm just waiting for maybe a little, not even a regression back to the mean, because both these teams have scored that crazy all season. But maybe just more of, you know, a defensive step up or something like that. But, you know, again, I didn't take it. So I'm kind of happy it didn't happen, because this was uh, one of the most fun games that I've been able to watch in my uh, in my LSU fandom, that's for sure. Yeah, especially when I get a nice win. Yeah, exactly. So first time beating Alabama in, uh, in eight years. Um, and we did it at Bryant-Denny, uh, which <laughs> – uh, you know, Coach O after the game was making comments that, you know, we now own Bryant Denny Stadium. We are going to own this rivalry. And I hear that and I'm like, man, I love the enthusiasm, but I get a little bit, I get a little bit of like nervousness from the, uh, you know, the, the sports gambling gods going to come down on me here and something bad's going to happen. Oh, hell yeah. And, and talk <laughs> about two guys that like Coach O and Fleck, just two different types of motivational <laughs> dudes and. Like both of them, I just want to run through all four. They're both badass. Right. It's awesome. All (laughs) right. So I think obviously the main storyline here between these two teams would be the matchup of uh, Joe Burrow and uh, and Tua Tungabailoa. Going into this game, uh, I know Burrow was leading the Heisman, you know, polls and uh, and betting guides. And Tua, I believe, was number two, correct? Was number three? Um, yeah, probably two or three. Yeah, somewhere uh, in there. Depends which one you read, right? <laughs> exactly, right. Uh, yeah, so they they had, uh, you know, they did have very similar games in terms of their, uh, you know, total yards. I mean, Tua actually out through Burrow, only completed uh, just over 50% of his passes, though. Both averaged right around 10 yards a pop. And, uh, you know, Tua actually threw more touchdowns. They had that interception late in the second quarter. Um mm-hmm. And one thing we've been, we've kind of come grown accustomed to with Joe Burrow, even last year when you know, LSU was good, not as good as they should have been, type of thing, and still running that old offense. Um, you know, we kind of look stuff as he is. He keeps poised in the pocket, never really seems to crumble under the pressure, um, and is always being able to manage the game. You know, he, you know, 
get not only you know call, calls the play, but ha- you know knows what each player is going to be doing, and then is able to adjust the play and make sure that word gets out quickly. Um, so the way the way he kind of handled himself on probably the biggest stage he's played on for LSU. Obviously, he's played Bama before, but it was never in a game where you know LSU was even given a chance to win. Um, so I think everyone had you know, obviously were impressed by uh, the way he's played all season, especially today. Um, you know, right now, going into the game, he was on track to break the, uh, you know, completion percentage record for the NCAA and uh, went into Bryant-Denny and left that game with a better completion percentage, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, that's absurd. I didn't I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he uh, – the, the, the way he is just able to control every single piece of the, uh, of the offense just makes it – we haven't had a good quarterback since, I mean, I guess Matt Flynn won a national championship. But other than that, it's been, uh, it's been you know, nothing but Jamarcus Russell's in and out. So, um, yeah. Hey, he was the first overall pick, though. Yeah, that didn't really pan out. To he, actually was, he actually was really good at LSU, but, man, he sucked in the NFL. <laughs> um, so, obviously, I think, you know, if you ask anybody, you know, who's the most impactful player for LSU, it could be any of the nine games so far. They're going to say Joe Burrow. So there's really not much else that can be said about the way he's been playing, the way he played against Alabama. Um, but I think you'd really have to look to Clyde Edwards E. Lair. Um, you know, he's another one of those players for the Tigers that has pretty much his entire career been looked at, you know, as the underdog. Um, you know, he's five foot eight, you know, pretty small guy. And, uh, you know, Coach O talking about him after the game, he said, He's five foot eight, but he runs like he's six foot four, two sixty. Um, he he stepped up when uh, you know we really needed it to happen. Um, you know, for Burrow to pass the way he does, we have to have a run game established. Um, and he went twenty carries for one hundred and three yards and three touchdowns. Um, and just the way he was moving his feet, the way he was shifting around, whether it was you know early pressure right off the handoff or when he got downfield, was able to make moves in open space. Um, remain consistent the entire game. I know his, uh, the last touchdown now, you know, Alabama brought it back within five um, LSU, you know, needed a score because, you know, you're within five all of a sudden that looks like, you know, a last second touchdown by Tua, which we've seen all too many times. Uh, this game has a lot different outcome. Um, so LSU puts together this great drive and uh, they're within the five yard line. Um, Elair lines up flanking Burrow to the left, starts that run to the right. And the defensive end crashes down, almost goes unblocked. I don't know if that was by design, like a pool play or what, but it looked like it was a misassignment. And I mean, he just, I mean, he, he hit that circle button. He spun on a dime and hit an absolutely perfect spin move and then was able to walk into the end zone on the left side of the field. Um, you know, that's LSU took that lead back up to, uh, back up to 12 points. And even though Alabama was able to score really quickly after that, I didn't have any doubt. I mean, it was just that we kind of had this team of destiny vibe going on, no matter what Alabama did to stay in it. LSU made sure they stayed just enough ahead to, uh, to get the W. So I think everyone was impressed by, by Clyde Edwards, Elaire. Um, and then, you know, you have to give some credit to the offensive line as well. Uh, granted Alabama had five sacks, but last year LSU could not establish any run game. Um, Burrow had no time in the pocket and uh, it was a much different story this year, despite those five sacks, you know, Burrow had the time, uh, you know, the running backs had the chance to, you know, find the hole quickly, hit it hard, and then get to the linebackers. And I think Alabama's lacking the linebacker position this year. And LSU was the first team that was really able to exploit it. Yeah, I would agree with everything that you said. First of all, I want to mention, I appreciate the fact that you said the circle button. Yeah. The spin <laughs> move, not the X button. Uh, I was a PlayStation guy. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, that's perfect. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, freaking awesome dude. Mm-hmm. And nine targets, nine catches. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. insane. It really for is a, a running back. And that touchdown at the end of the half was huge oh, too. Oh man, that uh, play was beautiful. Got. Um, so yeah, he looked great. It really um Joe Burrow, like his pocket presence mm-hmm. and the way that he was able to move around was really impressive to me, even just watching the highlights. I didn't you know, watch every single play again. But I thought he did a great job of feeling pressure, getting out of the mm-hmm. way. He did take five sacks, though. I'd like to see, I'd like to see those sacks again, just to kind of get an eye on it and just see if there was, if it was like really on him, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit, or if it was mostly on the 
on the O line in those instances. Uh, but he he was just like um, Tanner Morgan, where he was just dropping dimes, dude, every single yeah. play. Oh. Specifically, that first drive, he had three his he had three passes of fifteen plus yards. In the I know, yeah. I, I mean, you can't ask for a performance better than that. And then capped it off with a great ball to Jamar Chase. He kind of did that, you know, the the on-purpose underthrow to let Jamar come back and get a step on the corner. And mm-hmm. then, uh, he, you know, he was able to walk that extra yard into the end zone. Um, Chase had a, had a one hell of a game, uh, six receptions for 140 yards. And, the uh, like I said, the first touchdown of the game. Um, you know, the, the weapons that LSU has had at receiver this season between, you know, what we're kind of looked at now is the big three, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Terrace Marshall. Um, you know, they all really served their, uh, you know, their role today. Like I said, Chase was just all over the field. Uh, Jefferson actually had seven receptions, no touchdowns this game, but um, seven receptions for 79 yards. Uh, he had quite a few of the big third down conversions that LSU had to make in the second half. Um, I think, uh, at least three of them were, you know, 10 plus yards and Jefferson, I know hauled into, he may have had the third one. Um, and I think he doesn't get enough credit because he kind of capped the game. Alabama scored that last touchdown on the bomb to Devonte Smith and they go for the, um, go for the onside kick. And it actually was a great onside kick. They had, that ball had to beat one more guy and lucky for, for LSU was Justin Jefferson who, you know, jumped out of the gym, brought it down to the ground, and then that was it. One, one first down later, LSU wins. Yeah, you're right. That was one hell of a, a kick, and then he did have to actually make a play on it. Yeah. It was like yeah. It, I'm sure that felt like it was hanging in the air forever, too. <laughs> it was like going right to it. He's probably like, get here, get here, get here. Um, yeah, and then even like yeah, the, offensively, they were awesome. And then talking like Alabama, I didn't – I kind of missed the first quarter – Mm-hmm. Um, live. So when I watched the highlights, Bama was driving in that first drive, dude. They were just going right down the field, just marching. And then Tua had that just horrible fumble. Like, how did he even drop that? Yeah, it was just. I mean, it was a totally unforced error. Um, you know, you know, took his uh, took his pass drop. You know, read it as a run, took off, and it wasn't even during the exchange. The ball was in his right hand for like three steps, <laughs> and then it just it fell out. And that's when it was like, okay we haven't had anything break our way against Alabama in what seems like a decade. I mean, since Saban's been mm-hmm. here. So it was like, I, I almost couldn't believe that happened. And then, you know, LSU capitalized on that mistake and we forced, you know, forced a three and out, or maybe, maybe there's one first down in there, but forced the punt by Alabama and the punter, the ball was right at his chest and he mm-hmm. just dropped it and mm-hmm. he couldn't get a kickoff and, you know, you get the kickoff and all of a sudden LSU has, is, you know, at the 50-yard line, if not already in Alabama territory, uh, got only got a field goal out of it. But and I think that, you know, that the one thing that stuck out to me, the, one of the biggest things was the mental mistakes that we saw by Alabama, which you rarely ever see by a Nick Saban team, especially mm-hmm. at, you know, at Bryant-Denny. Um, he, he's, such, he's such a good coach and really, you know, not only goes over the you – know, not only recruits the best players and has the best, you know, some of the best coordinators – you know, mold these guys and their skill, but also they have a, a, always have a great mental team, and they were making dumb penalties and dumb mistakes from the get go. Right. Yeah. So the mental mistakes. I mean, they're huge from the drop punt to throwing a pick right before half. Mm-hmm. God awful. And then you give up a touchdown. I mean, that's just brutal. Um, there were some pretty sick plays though by Alabama. That one. The one play where it looks like they were going to change the play at the line of scrimmage, they got LSU kind of on their heels. Yes. <laughs> he would just throws a dime to Devontae Smith. That yep. was – I'm not going to lie. That was pretty freaking sick. And as somebody who had Alabama minus six, you know, that was, <laughs> was rooting for that kind of. But I, I also had the over, so there you I go. was just any scoring, <laughs> I was happy. But I thought that play was badass. Um, and speaking of that, dude, have you looked into Stingley's stats? Uh, from the season or for the game? For the game. I have not, but I can't imagine it's great. Dude, they were freaking god-awful. Let me see. <laughs> I wrote it down here. Um, but anyways, it was something like over the last five weeks, he's given up like 256 yards total or something like that, like mm-hmm. 18 catches, 256 yards. This game he gave up 211 yards when he was in, in coverage. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I knew it was a bad game, especially that uh, – the 85-yard touchdown. I believe that was on him against Devontae Smith at the end of the game, too. Um, it was. 
But that one, one you were just talking about, that's like the, the classic to a play that he made famous in his, uh, you know, big debut against Georgia in the championship. He is so good at making a safety freeze, whether it's looking mm-hmm. to the opposite side of the field or even just staring the safety in the eye. And, you know, that's what happened to Grant Delpit. Um, he got stuck there and, and Tua was looking to his left hand. or looking to the right. Um, Delpit had to start fading that way. And as soon as Tua knew that he had Smith and single coverage and uh, with a step on Stingley, that one was all over. So that was a, that was a great play. Um, man, I tell you what, you, you, you try to pick out faults that this kid has, that Tua has, and, you know, yeah, he had a bad interception. Maybe he had some bad reads, but God, his good plays just look so just so smooth. Right. Yeah, it's it's crazy watching like some good quarterback play and how big of differences you can tell between watching, you know, Burrow to uh Tanner Morgan, those guys just mm-hmm. dropping dimes and then seeing some of these other games. You <laughs> I mean it's noticeable, dude, oh, how yeah. like much better they are at just throwing the ball and putting it where the ball needs to be and making right reads, you know, stepping up in the pocket, avoiding pressure. I mean, yeah. those guys, those guys showed it, showed it all. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing I think you can also really attribute this win to in the whole season is the, uh, the implementation of this Joe Brady RPO offense. Um, and, you know, it, luckily, luckily LSU pays their coordinators very well. Um, I actually heard today that, um, they are close to signing him for an extension, which is awesome. I love having him here. And thank God none of our coordinators are uh, too egotistical because I'm sure Steve Edensbinger, you know, probably has a little bit of room to say, this is my offense. I'm the OC, but he's welcomed him with open arms. And, man, it has been a match made in heaven, having those two in the booth. Um, and I really, you really saw his genius in this game. Uh, he loves, you know, while well, he's kind of known now is spreading it out, I think what we see a lot of success is when they do the – the bunch formations with either two receivers and a tight end or three or four receivers. Um, and on the play you alluded to earlier, the Clyde Edwards, E layer touchdown to end the half right after the Tua interception, uh, I thought was one of those, uh, one of those great plays you have Terrace Marshall on the outside, uh, Thad Moss um, inside him on the line of scrimmage. They were in the bunch formation and E layer actually came out of the backfield and the way the routes were run, put Moss in single coverage over in the flats and basically put Terrace Marshall in triple coverage, uh, you know, running a deep post route. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Elaire just kind of slips out of the backfield and he's wide open on the goal line. And that was, and that was all said and done right there. Do you realize that with 30 seconds to go in the first half, it was 19 to 13 and LSU <laughs> scored twice in 26 seconds? That's, yeah, that's crazy. That's unheard of against Bama. It's unheard of for LSU. We've, they've never had an offense been able to do things like this. I'm used. I'm still used to the uh, the pitch dive, which they used to run with Leonard Fournette and then Jacob Hester before him. Um, right. Side note: I was at the Bengals game yesterday, and they were running the pitch dive, and I'm like, "How am I? I can't escape this damn offense." Give me some fun to watch, people. Yeah, no, that was. We don't even need to talk about that game. <laughs> no, we're not. We're 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 sticking to fun things like Minnesota football and LSU football. I don't even know what the NFL is this season. Um, so switch over real. I'm gonna switch over real quick to the LSU defense. Um, uh, some guys that uh you know really put up the stats. Obviously, Patrick Queen with the interception was so big. Um, but he also had seven tackles, four of them by himself, and uh, you know. He got credit with a half sack. LSU only had one sack on the day, but it came in a in a uh, a pretty needed spot. So I thought that was a good play. But then Clavion Chason, who was looked at all preseason as this is the guy who's going to step up and kind of fill the Devin White shoes. And a lot of people in the media say that you know he's underperforming this year. When really, honestly, he's had a, a very quiet but productive year. Um, and this came out today, or came out in this game on Saturday. You know, 10, 10 total tackles. 3.5 tackles were uh, were for a loss. It was very similar to uh, oh, who were we just talking about from Minnesota with the uh, uh, Coughlin. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, it had very. It, it, there's so many of these players in these two games had very similar stat lines, and uh, so that was kind of cool to see. But yeah, I thought Clavion Chase Suns kind of got some heat this year. Um, but in all, in all seriousness, hey, he's had a great season, and it all came to fruition this game. And he stepped up in the uh, on the big stage, which he missed all of last season. So we were kind of waiting to see what we really had in this guy. And um, no doubt about it, he's going to be a uh, a good player for LSU for the next couple of years. And I, I I'm curious to see how he kind of you know falls in the NFL. He's kind of like a weird a weird body style. So we'll see what position he ends up playing over there. 
but he had a hell of a game. The defense played very well. Uh, I know they gave up the yardage and stuff, but they made stops when needed, which is really all you can ask for when you're playing at any opponent, but especially at, at Alabama. Um, and one guy that kind of scared me a little bit, which sucks because my favorite player, Grant Delpit, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he had uh, two tackles and he had quite a few missed tackles. And that's been an issue he's had all season. Uh, he's been great in coverage this year. He wasn't really put into play very much this game against Tua. Um, but, yeah, that's something that really stood out. He kind of scared me. Uh, I know Najee Harris in the third quarter um, broke a long run. L- or uh, LSU had Alabama, you know, deep in their own territory. They're on the four or five-yard line. It was after Jerry Judy called for a fair catch at the five-yard line, which made no sense. Uh, so we thought, like, all right, here's a chance to capitalize third quarter. Alabama was kind of dominating the third quarter in terms of, you know, controlling the clock, controlling the ball. And then Najee Harris breaks one and Grant Delphin missed a tackle. And if it wasn't for, uh, I believe, Kerry Vincent Jr., he probably would have broke one for a touchdown. And this is going to be a whole different ballgame now. Yeah, they actually, uh, Delphin had four missed tackles. Four uh, missed tackles. God. Yeah, dude, that, he was their lowest graded player. Yeah, which is, um, which is uh, insane. Because I think last year, even when LSU looked absolutely terrible in the 29-0 game, um, you know, he did step up. He, he, he made big plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile... On the other side of the wall, Xavier McKinney, who is, you know, Delpit and McKinney are kind of looked at as the two best safeties in this draft class. McKinney had one hell of a game. I mean, nine solo tackles, 13 total. Two of them were sacks, and, you know, that's a hell of a play right there. Yeah. I mean, how how can you be graded lower, like the lowest player uh, defensively when you have a guy on your defense that gives up 211 yards. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's it's insane. And they've been like the staples of that secondary for right. this whole season. And Delpit has been for two years now. Um, but I was actually reading something today that said, even, you know, after all, you know, watching this poor performance on Delpit and then a great, great performance by Xavier McKinney, they still have Delpit graded higher than him. So I guess it's like, look, this is, Hopefully the anomaly, and he'll still be a successful uh, NFL safety, which I think he will. But it was right. a little scary to see that going downhill so quickly. For sure. I mean, but that, <laughs> that shit's going to happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wild. <laughs> Wild, indeed. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much all I have on this game. I mean, got to talk about. We got blessed with just such an amazing game to watch there. I wish it was the night game, but part of me also says I don't want to play at Bryant Denny at night. I'm okay with 330 slots. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. That was that's the way I feel about going to Iowa next week for the Gophers. I'm glad that we're playing in the afternoon and not at night. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Kinnick Stadium at night is always another another one that's always tough to play at. Oh hell yeah! All right, so should we hop into the projected top tens from this convoluted college ball playoff ranking? Um, so I figure we just kind of go in backwards order. Start at number ten. We each give our our pick there and kind of you know explain why a little bit. Right. Yeah, I'll go. Sure. I'll, uh, I'll start it off. I've got Oklahoma at number 10. Okay. You know, I just, um, haven't really been too impressed. I think they still got a lot of talent, but the way that they've played, you know, giving up big leads, not really putting teams away, whether it's Iowa state earlier against Texas, obviously losing to Kansas state. Uh, I just think 10 is a good spot for them. They still only have the one loss. Um, and they've got, you know, Baylor coming up, so big opportunity for him to move up, you know, right. this week. But I've got him at number ten. Right. Yeah, I actually, I actually have Baylor at number ten. Um, that's another team that I kind of felt like was treated a little bit unfairly, like Minnesota being undefeated in the Power Five, and they were marked as twelve uh, last week. Um, you know, I almost, as I look back at this and you know saw what they did against TCU, I'm not even sure they deserve to move up to ten. Um, that, I mean, TCU hung around in that game, and you know controlled it for a bit both teams kind of had to battle back in certain spots and you know Baylor had to get a triple overtime to beat a pretty bad TCU team uh that being said though they are still 9-0 so you know I'm giving them benefit of the doubt here they got I think they deserve to be in the top 10 I think if you're undefeated uh 10 weeks or 11 weeks into the season you and you're in a power five conference you probably deserve a little bit of credit so I I, I like Baylor at 10 um, mm-hmm. but I actually had Oklahoma at nine so we're not too far off on that spot yeah I've actually got Baylor at eight <laughs> the undefeated you know deal it, it does it does something for me right yeah i totally get that and i agree with all your points about oklahoma they either they have wins that they have wins now that are they're kind of eked by wins that probably shouldn't have been there they seem to be playing down a little bit uh i really liked them against iowa state again luckily i laid off of it because that was just an, a weird game brock purdy threw for 
I think like 260 and five. I think the, I think he threw for five touchdowns on an Oklahoma defense that is, you know, quote unquote, getting better. I mean, it's improved from last year. They have a new defensive coordinator, but man, they just, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts was like, he was, he couldn't close that game out. It was kind of a, uh, a rough performance for him, especially come Heisman season. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So my number nine that I've got, I've got Oregon. Okay. Number nine. You know, they've got the, the one loss. And I, I mean, it was a tough loss, right? Right. Um, and it was early in the year where, if God, if I remember correctly, Auburn had a big comeback, right? They, like, they should have won that game. Yeah, yeah. Auburn had to battle it to get back in this one. And then they ended up closing it out, the legend of Bo Nix. Yep, yep. And then I've got them at nine just because, I mean, they only beat Wazoo by two at home. They beat Washington by four on the road. But they've got, they've got zero wins against a team that was ranked at the time or is even currently ranked. Like, right. <laughs> that's, that just does nothing for me. So that's right, why yeah. that's why I've got them at number nine. Yeah, I totally get that. I actually left them at uh, left them at seven. I just felt like they they didn't have any reason to move down. But I totally get that, right. especially because you know yeah that their one loss. I me, mean, I'm giving them. I still am giving them credit because the one loss was first game of the year and neutral site. But it's to a it's to a a pretty overrated Auburn team that as a seven and two they were at number eleven last week. I I just. Right. Don't understand that ranking. So, yeah, I don't blame you at all for uh, dropping Oregon a little bit there. Um, and and number eight is uh, – go ahead, sorry. Yeah, real quick with that. I mean, it was basically like in Auburn's backyard, despite being a neutral field <laughs> game. Like, yeah, really good point. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically an Auburn home game. Yeah, okay, moving, moving on. Um, I, have, uh, I have Florida at, uh, at number eight. Um <laughs> having them go up two spots there. I know they're a two-loss team, but I do think they're a good team. I think they weirdly got better with their backup quarterback. Um, I didn't think Felipe Franks was good, and I do think Kyle Trask has some potential. He's mm-hmm. playing – He's playing. looks like he's playing a little, little injured, though. Um, but uh, they had a shutout win. I know it was Vanderbilt, so you really can't be too impressed by that. But I think anytime you can shut out a conference team this late in the season, especially when it matters as much with, you know, playoff ranking time here, uh, I think number eight might be a fair spot for Florida. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I don't have them in my top ten just because of the two losses. But mm-hmm. I mean, two losses to LSU and one to Georgia. I mean, that's not – especially after this <laughs> performance against Vandy, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so what are we on for you, number eight now? Yeah, so I had Baylor, number eight. Oh, um, that's right. Okay. As we kind of discussed, uh, my seven is Utah. So I just like Utah – in terms of the Utah versus Oregon thing, mm-hmm. I, I mean they've had some freaking slaughters, dude. So both both teams played Washington on the road. Mm-hmm. Utah won by five. Oregon won by four. Uh, pretty <laughs> similar scores actually. Right. Um, but Utah they whooped up on Cal, thirty-five nothing. They beat Washington State, thirty-eight thirteen. Freaking holding Washington State's thirteen points, man. That's badass. Right. Uh, one at Oregon State against their like actual real offense this year you know in like the last five years pretty much 52 to 7 at oregon state i mean like i mean those are nice and now they just have ucla arizona and colorado to round out the year two of those games at home i mean Mm -hmm. yeah i I just i just think that those ass kickings to oregon state cal and washington state kind of sets them apart Man, I don't know if when I was looking at this on Sunday afternoon, did I just I think I I left off Utah and I definitely like them more than I do having Oklahoma or Oregon in my top ten. So I think my top ten is already discredited because the points you just made are exactly right. Utah really hasn't a force this year. They do have some some pretty damn big wins. Yeah, I put mine together like five minutes before and I all of a sudden <laughs> I want Florida in now in my top ten. <laughs> all right, good. So we're we're in similar boats here. Um <laughs> so number six is where I start kind of getting a little bit interesting. I don't know if I'm right here or not. I, the committee loves Alabama so much and Nick Saban and their success they've had, but I have Alabama dropping out and all the way down to number six. Really? I've got Minnesota at number six. I have Minnesota at number five. Okay. Okay. Fair. I've got Bama at number five. So okay. we've just got, <laughs> we've just got them flipped. Yeah, exactly. And I know the AP poll came out yesterday. They have Bama at number four, um, right. which again, like I, I, I get it. Like their resume sucks. They have no, they have no big wins and their only big test was LSU when they lost at home. Um, But I think a little bit of, you know, their eye test is 
pretty good. Their defensive eye test is actually a little bit lacking this year. Uh, but also I think the name recognition is going to keep them in that either five or six spot. I don't agree with the AP putting him at four, but I never agree with the AP anyway. So I guess it's fine. Yeah. And the AP doesn't really have any pressure, right? It's not like they yeah, are the ones who decide this so they can just put yeah. him there. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I love having the, the golfers in the, at least in the, in contention now, whether they're at five or six, um, is, is there a chance they slip into number four? Uh, you know what? I don't really see it. Uh, not with Clemson. You know, I would say on in terms of resume, I mean, we just beat the number four team in the nation, man. Right. That's way better than Clemson. Anybody's Clemson. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so true. But I I doubt it. And And, you know, what's – like, if you look at it, the committee doesn't really have to do something that bold, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna, if we make it, we still have Iowa next week which would be a nice one. So maybe if we beat Iowa next week, we'd maybe slip into number four. Um, Yeah. But if, I mean, we got to beat them, but anyways, we've also, we also have Wisconsin still. So, I mean, they don't have to get that bold, put us at number six, you know, they can, or five and you know, they can kind of just be like, Hey, we we gave you guys respect. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. So yeah, I'm sure that's the way that they'll go. Yeah. I agree with that. I just think putting them in now is almost too much of an overcorrection. It's kind right. of like, you know, when a customer hits us up for, for something and it's like, oh, it's $2,000. And a week later, we say it's 1500 bucks. Like, if you bring it down, if you make that big of a change, they're going to notice and then ask questions. Like, how the hell did we get 2000 last week? So, right. yeah, I, I definitely uh, can see, see, that, see, see that point there. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, I know for, I guess you had, you had Minnesota at six. I had Bama at six. And then we were flip-flop for number five. Correct. Uh, yeah. And we've talked enough about Alabama. Any, any other comments there? Uh, no, I think, you know, they've, they've kind of earned that respect in order to be top five. And right. I, okay. I, I just don't see a way that they can really get in now. Cause yeah. it obviously oh, yeah, they, knows you to lose twice. Um, yeah, exactly. Which, the championship. They would just need something absolutely bizarre to happen for them in order <laughs> for them to get in. I know and we've seen crazy things, but God, please don't let it be this season. So yeah. our, our, uh, our five through ten were pretty similar. Um, I think we had all the same teams besides uh, you had Utah and I had Florida in. We were different orders. We had the same mix of teams in there. Something tells me that our top four are probably going to be exactly the same, if not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So number four, who do you got? I've got Georgia. Yeah, so do I. Um, you know, shout out against shout out Missouri, which again isn't super impressive, but a shout out this late's good. And they were the number six spot, and two teams lost. It just seemed perfect for them to go to number four. Yeah. Yeah, bad loss, South Carolina, but mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. And I, if I remember correctly, I think their win expectancy after the game was like 65%, had a couple turnovers to to kind of sink the the boat. But, you know, they're they're doing what they got to do to to earn that sp- number four spot. Yep, absolutely. And then number three, Clemson. Yep. Yep, yep. That one, I think that just makes sense. They've they, – they, buried they buried North Carolina State I mean we're never going to be able to say they have a good win until probably the college football playoff I mean right who's matched up with them in the ACC for the you know I, I is it Virginia still leading in the uh, their other other division honestly I don't even I don't even know I haven't even hardly paid attention to oh it's just been it's been so yeah, yeah it is Virginia okay so yeah it's probably the first test they'll really have and Virginia has really underperformed this year so I don't think I'm much of a test Right. Oh yeah, for sure. But yeah, yep. somehow like Virginia's at five and two, and then Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech are at three and two in the conference. So two full <laughs> games behind. Like damn. So Virginia's yeah. got some time off. Um, but yeah, and Virginia Tech, dude, could you imagine if they got in? They didn't. They get <laughs> absolutely slaughtered by like Duke or something earlier this year. Yeah, they got killed by Duke, and they came out and crushed Wake Forest on Saturday, which was a surprising yeah, play. I fucking no, because I took Wake Forest live when they're down by like <laughs> six with the ball, and then they just blew it. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, Clemson does play Wake in a couple of weeks. So that, that, I mean, that'll uh, well, let's see. Wake was what nineteen last week, and they lost to Virginia Tech. They're probably right. going to get booted out, which is probably going to hurt Clemson. Then Clemson kind of needs Wake Forest to stay in this poll. No shit, dude. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But I mean, there's I don't see any conceivable way that Clemson is a not in it this week, and then B doesn't win the ACC and gets into the playoff. They deserve it. I mean, they've looked weird, but it's Clemson. They've dominated right. everybody, so that one makes sense. And then okay, here's where I think we I don't know how we feel here. Number two, who do you have? 
I got Ohio State. I got Ohio State too. Let's go. All right. We had the exact same top four. I mean, they're riding pretty much all eye tests right now. Their biggest wins Wisconsin, right? Um, yeah. And yep. then, and then they, they beat Michigan State too, right? They did beat Michigan State, and Michigan State, like Wisconsin, just lost to Illinois. Michigan State yeah. did so in amazing fashion. So so unbelievable. They were weren't they up like 17 late? Dude, they were up, I think they were up at one point twenty-eight to three. Oh my god. I think they got outscored twenty-seven to three in the fourth quarter. <laughs> oh my gosh, right. Horrible, yeah. dude. Horrible, horrible yeah. showing there from this from uh from uh, Michigan State. I did have Illinois plus fourteen and a half though. So I, Oh, I, that's a great I, play right there. God if Illinois only I had a funny line, god damn it. God, I know. <laughs> dude, Illinois has looked kind of awesome the last few weeks. Yeah, so a quick story. So I went to UW Lacrosse, and the athletic director there is now the athletic director at Illinois. And they oh, really? Video. Yeah, they have a video um, with Whitman giving Lovey a, a big, huge hug. So that's awesome. That was kind of cool. Hell I yeah. met that guy. That's awesome. All right, and then that means number one, we have rounding out with LSU. I, I mean, the resume speaks for themselves. Even the eye test speaks for itself for, I mean, 98% of the uh, what we've seen so far. Um, do you think the community, because they had Ohio State number one and they put up 72 points, is, I mean, there's probably a decent chance that Ohio State retains number one. Yeah, I mean, they probably did everything that they possibly could to retain number one, especially right. with Chase Young out. But with yeah, just the right. way that they were interviewing the – the committee guy, you know, when he was talking about Penn State being above Clemson just based on their resume, obviously resume still plays a huge part in LSU. Nobody can even get close to touching LSU's no. resume. No. And yeah, it's, it's not like it was a fluke win either, you know. That, right. was, that was a pretty damn convincing win. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so, damn, I, I kind of figured just like, so we talk every day about this kind of stuff. I had a feeling we were going to be very similar in these rankings and uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. kind of funny. We had nine teams exact. We had nine teams in the same, just different order. And then our top four was across the board unanimous on how easy that one was to pick. One bizarre thing is we both had Penn state falling completely out of the top 10. Yeah. I think they're done. I think they, I don't know if they have the resume to stay in the top 10. I can maybe see them drop down to number 10 at the very latest. And, Maybe yeah. keep, you know, whether it be Baylor or OU, somebody like that out. But, you know, I throw you out of there, man. Like, uh, now that I've looked at their schedule, I, yeah, I'm okay with that. Too. Yeah, I'm it'll okay probably be it. like OU, Florida, Penn State for 9, 10, 11. I would say it's probably what, what it's going to come down to. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That, sound, that sounds right to me. Mm-hmm. But cool. Awesome. Well, that was fun. Yeah, that took a uh, minute. Took a little. How do how do people like talk about an entire slate of college football games for betting? We talked about two games in the top ten. It took like an hour. And a half. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh... All right. Big thanks to Tyler for being able to join tonight. Uh, I know he was bummed. He missed out on the first episode. Uh, we had a lot of fun recording this, and uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed listening. Um, be on the lookout for episode three coming either Thursday night or Friday morning. Uh, good luck to everybody who is putting some plays in during the week. Uh, we have Maction, we have college football, we have some NFL on uh, coming up on Thursday night. So uh, good luck in all your bets and looking forward to seeing you guys on Thursday.